0: To paraphrase Danny, this film was set at a time when London is in a country is a country coming down from its trip. There are ninety-one days from the end of this decade, and there's going to be a lot of refugees, including with Nail and I. To infinity.
1: on first what's on second i don't know who's on third and i
2: mentioned my dear watson what's in the
0: box just what do you think you are
1: doing there? frankly right here i don't give a damn but why male models why so serious i am serious now don't call me sure well nobody's perfect go ahead make my day
0: ...to a delightful weekend in the country. You are
1: cordially invited to spend a carefree weekend in the English countryside. Bask in the warm sunshine. We've gone on holiday by mistake. Enjoy the rustic pleasure of country living. It's gonna be so cold in here, like Greenland in here.
0: Wants to get down there and have sex
1: with those cows. Ah! Take a fine varietal wine. Oh, drunk! I assure you I'm not, officer. I've only had a few ales. Get in the back of the van! Take lunch at a charming pub. We want the finest wines available to humanity. We want them here, and we want them now. Fraternize with cheery locals. I
2: don't care where you come from! Ponce!
1: Experience culinary pleasure. I can make it die. There is, you will agree, Something je quoi about a firm young carrot
0: fish in the region streams do threaten me with a dead fish
1: with nil and i a trip worth taking what absolute twaddle welcome everybody to pop culture i am scott
0: i'm jason
2: and i'm monica
1: with Nail and i <laughs>
0: Or Peter Marwood, if you really want to give the character his name. But he's only ever referred to as the narrator or I in the film. Yeah, I think it was Marwood in the published script. It is
1: Marwood, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Jason's picked for cult classic. Yes.
0: What a pick. Um, I'll just start by saying this is up in my top ten comedies. Like if I have to have a top ten, this is definitely sitting in amongst them. It's. one of those ones which doesn't matter how often you go back to, it's still funny, it's still biting everything. Um, But I am interested to start because Monica had not seen it before.
2: No, I had not. And um, once again, I have to say thank you, Jason,
0: Um,
2: (laughs) (laughs) because I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was really sharp, very funny. And to me, it's a really interesting film about a dying friendship.
0: <laughs> it is, yeah, <laughs> more, yeah. More than anything, exactly what it is, yeah,
2: yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, it's just some of the observations in the film are just so sharp and still so relevant today. Um, I think the sign of a good comedy is something that transcends time, and this film certainly does it quite effectively.
0: Yeah, mm. um, it's semi-autobiographical, so mm-hmm. uh, the director wrote from his experiences yeah, and so Bruce Robinson. Yes, Bruce Robinson wrote from his experiences uh, as being an actor and out-of-work actor mm. and come director, writer, whatever he was doing, is all part of the theatre crowd and film crowd. So he had this script floating around for a while, came across the desk of uh, a member of a very small band called The Beatles, George Harrison's Handmade Films, and they produced it. So... Taking those risks that they do, which is a a a great thing. It's like I have to say, George Harrison has allowed two of my favourite comedies of all time get produced. (laughs) Life (laughs) Life of Brian. (laughs) Life of Brian. (laughs) It's just like, how could you do that? And then create really good music. I mean, far out. That's a big impact on culture. I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But the the beauty of this film for me is just. The performances are just so perfection. It's like I'm, I know I'm not using really good grammar there, but it's uh, <laughs> it's so perfected, and the pathos of their performances lifts it way above what you'd normally get. Um, I know it's something where you do actually feel a bit of an emotion for some of the characters, particularly I, because you can see yeah. he's struggling to sort of. Deal with this toxic friendship that he's got, uh, mm. doesn't see his way out. He's eventually getting his way out, but mm. um, with nails sort of not letting him and mistreating him too, I have to say. Yeah. So it's
2: yeah, with nail's a horrible friend. <laughs>
0: yeah, he is. <laughs> uh, but obviously, uh, yeah, <laughs> I is participating for some reason. It's sort of probably more out of just not knowing what to do with himself, which might be. Yeah, the case of a lot of of out-of-work actors. What do you do between the the takes?
2: Yeah, and I have to say I was really surprised when I read this was Richard E. Grant's first ever um, film that he did Mm -hmm. because the performance just screams of, you know, veteran actor who knows exactly what he's doing. Experience, right? Experience (laughs) hits all the beats. And I was just like, this is someone who's really, really good at his craft and it just makes you appreciate it all the more.
1: Or... He's not acting at all. Or, <laughs> perhaps not. <laughs>
2: and I think that also comes back into um, the other performances as well. Paul McGahn is wonderful as the, you know, long-suffering Marwood or narrator or I, and, you know, it's a wonderful contrast against Grant's sort of, like, eccentric uh horrible with no and then you also have uncle monty running into the mix as well who is the strangest character i've ever seen in a movie <laughs> uh,
0: yeah uh, i mean paul mcgarn's eye i'm going to refer to him as i because that's really what the title of it has mm. he's he's sort of so beautifully anxious yes. and lost and almost like this weird innocent victim but keeps going back for more yeah. <laughs> like i don't know why. Um, and i don't think he does either because he's sort of you've got that narration coming from him through mm. the whole film yeah. uh, just right against richard e grant slamming down what i'd say is just it cemented his career instantly by having that performance it, it is a tour de force of comedy in terms of a character who's this weird mix of narcissism and irresponsibility and yeah,
1: and, <laughs> and damaged and
0: yeah and oh, it's for a sure.
1: <laughs> and, and, and like but all by his own hand. It's all like, oh, absolutely. like. Yeah. Hmm.
2: And at the very end as well you have with now go and do this monologue from Hamlet and it's just oh, so yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah.
1: perfect. And it's
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> that he's the one who's staying behind with the bottle of wine because he's hmm. he's, you know, digging his own grave.
2: Hmm. Yeah, and that's sort of the only way that he knows and he's not interested in changing that about himself. Hmm
1: despite complaining about it non-stop.
2: Uh, not he's getting one of those...
1: and his agent not calling him. And...
2: Yeah. yeah. He's one of those people where all of his problems are created by somebody else. Not It's not yes. his fault. Yeah.
0: And then, of course, Richard Griffiths' is Uncle Monty. Yeah. It's, uh, that's just a classic, classic character. I can see there has been criticism of the character uh, presently sort of putting gay men in a bad light, However, when you read back from the fact that it's sort of autobiographical and actually based mm. on a director who sort of, I guess, cornered mm. Robinson and did all of these sorts of things, I think we've got to be careful that we don't equate sexuality and things like that with a character who is just this character. And I mm. don't actually find his he, he's got sort of predatory behaviour, but it's matched with this weird, genuine feeling of ignorance and depression and shame that gets mixed in with it so i actually find there's a bit more to the character than just going oh look they've made him a gay guy look bad but it's not quite like that i think he's also (laughs) under
1: the impression that they're a in a couple
0: as well (laughs) yes oh with nail sets it up too it's like it's not (laughs) yeah
2: and i guess more to the point i guess The character of monty would feel awkward because he's very closeted and he doesn't quite know how to interact with someone that he also thinks is another gay man so i don't see it again as something like you said jason attributed to a person's sexuality it's just someone who is really really bad at approaching someone they're interested in um yeah it's not okay and it's certainly very it's also it's
1: like 67 so he's carrying a whole lot of cultural baggage
2: yeah and you know that kind of behavior is certainly not exclusive just to gay men
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. So it's um, I I just I Mm. think it still stands. I think Richard Griffiths does such an amazing job. I I can't when when he was Uncle Vernon in Harry Potter. It just I I could not shake Uncle Monty from my head. Whenever I saw him, I have to say it's just so so well done that character. Yes, it changes it completely.
2: <laughs> Certainly it's a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's such a funny character. And, mm. um, yeah, people like that exist. It's as simple as that. So Yeah.
2: A... <laughs> I think independently all three characters for anyone who would be interested in acting would be a, an excellent study um, for people to sort of learn their craft, I suppose. Because you can see how each one is so different, but they also rely on, I guess, the time that they spend on screen with the other person.
0: Mm, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, the the synergy of it all is quite yeah. amazing. Um, yeah,
2: they have a wonderful chemistry.
0: Yeah, yeah, they bounce off each other really well. And it's a of a, a shame
1: that, like, Paul McGann's so good and he's sort of... Mm. I mean, he's definitely done you know a, a body of work but it doesn't reflect his talent
2: yeah he tends to be one of those actors that flies under the radar for a lot of people um which mm. i think is a shame because i do think he is extremely talented
1: whereas richard grant probably the opposite like mm. has you know has, has quite a impressive body of work
2: yeah, and does get all those kudos. Not that he doesn't deserve it, which he certainly does.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. I oh, mean, yeah. he gets—he's getting the Marvel movies and the Star Wars movies and stuff now in his in his life.
2: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I would love to see Paul McGann in like the Star Wars universe. I think he'd do really yeah. well. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, the other thing about the film that uh, stands out for me as well is. It's got this interesting take on the 60s, which feels far more honest than you normally get. It's even a little bit brutal, if you want, about the decade. Mm. Um, It doesn't have that same sort of optimistic, communal cultural revolution feel that you often Mm. have inferred in films that are set at the time. It just feels like this is genuinely really what a lot of people were like at the time or feeling, and that there was all these people just as lost, and dispossessed or even unfulfilled by uh, the situation that they were in, regardless of the time and what's happening at the time. So it just had that reality to it that I just really loved.
2: I think a lot of that also comes back to the fact that a lot of the movie does not take place in London. So you have those characters Mm -hmm. isolated in this sort of country town where they rub up against everybody else in that community and it just shows that disparity between Mm -hmm. those two
1: kind of lives. Yeah, and but the like you know, we're in the time of like hippie culture and stuff, but the counterculture elements, the characters aren't sort of
0: clean, free-loving. No. Of. <laughs> they're, they're, they're bitter and <laughs> alcoholic and yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. you know, I, I guess the only sort of brief feeling you get of it is with uh Danny the drug dealer coming yeah. in. Yeah. And um <laughs> when he comes in just the the amazing lines that he spouts out yeah so I, I loved any the <laughs> dr Eli, <his> <laughs> um it, he he sort of also narrates that correction of the counterculture hence the quote at the beginning mm. um and quotable this film is yeah. so amazingly quotable i think a lot a lot of people wouldn't know where the quotes came from like um a stopped clock is right twice a day, sort right. of comments and things like that. And, um, you yeah, uh, know, Danny's Camberwell carrot sort of uh, conversation and so on. You know, well, why is it called that? Well, I made, it looks like a carrot and I made it in Camberwell. You know, and so on. <laughs> Those it's, are the sort uh, of windows faces looking like. <laughs>
2: really, yeah. yeah. And also the thing with the chicken I thought was
0: quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you've got to throttle it before it makes friends with them yeah yes, that's right <laughs> but um yeah to have all these sort of weird uh takes on it and you know they they're obviously coming from a bit of a privileged position too i feel and it's yeah call you definitely laid out there They've they've come from money and yeah. <clears throat> you know they have those statements of we've gone on holiday by mistake, which sort of, how can you do that? Yeah, yeah. I
2: think a lot of British films tend to fall into the trap of um, the banal struggles of upper middle-class white Englishmen and to turn it into a comedy just makes so much more sense than to take it seriously and have it some sort of self-reflective, whimsical, you know, boring wank (laughs) of a film.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah, and I guess uh, another nod to their, their uh, privilege is the idea of drinking lighter food because it's more upper class than drinking yes. meth. <laughs> 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 they can't afford it. why <laughs> like I'm drinking it. Um,
0: yeah, so uh, I, there's so much that goes so well in this film. It's hard to sort of bring all of it together other than to say, you know, it's one of those films that I understand why it's on those lists of the top 100 films of all time. You'll find it often sits mm. somewhere on that. Um, and mm. I do strongly suggest everyone go seize it.
1: I second that. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. It's it's one of those movies that you um, will not forget in a hurry. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. For a multitude of reasons. <laughs> And I mean, the BBC named it one of
0: England's greatest cult films. So, yeah, it's
1: up
0: there. And I'd say one of the greatest comedies.
2: It's a very effective comedy. Yeah.
0: Cool.
1: Anyone else got anything else to say about Withnail and I?
0: I feel that if I keep talking about it, I just. Don't do it justice, to be honest. It's (laughs) one of those ones where I go, you've just got to watch it. You have to watch it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I would just encourage people to watch it, yeah.
0: Live the moment of it. Tricky to get a hold
1: of, but you're doing yourself a favour if you do. Yep. With Nal and I, thank you guys for listening to this episode of Pop Culture. I've been Scott.
0: I've been Jason.
2: And I'm still Monica.
1: Is produced by and recorded by Jason Eddie, Monica Porto, and Scott Satter. The clip for this week's show was the trailer for With Withnail and I, and the song at the end was "While My Guitar Gently Weeps" by the Beatles, used in the With Withnail and I soundtrack. If you're enjoying the podcast, please invite you to jump on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. It helps us expand the show and reach new listeners. If you'd like to find us on social media, we're on Facebook, facebookcom pod, on Twitter, popcultureau, we're on Instagram, we're also on
0: YouTube. I don't know why nobody told you How to unfold your love I don't know how someone controlled you They bought and sold It's turning While my guitar Gently weeps